Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. My name is Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard. I am your host, per usual, and welcome back to another week. I want to remind you all that we have the She Is Challenge going on. I still haven't decided what's going to be in your little goodie basket, bag, box, whatever. Um, I'm going to figure that out, but remember the rules. Watch a women's sporting event, either in person, on TV, on your phone. I don't care. If there's one playing on Mars and you have a freaking telescope, watch it that way. But take a picture of you doing this. Post it on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Tag at LTPFpod and use the hashtag SheIsChallenge to show your support of women's athletics. And then at the end of the month, I will pick a winner and send them something. I still don't know what yet. It might be a couple different what's. We'll see. Um, So that's a big thing for this week is to make sure you all do that. Also, um, make sure you are following us on all of those social media platforms at LTPFpod, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And um, you can always email me at ltpfpod at gmail.com. What else do I have for you this week? Not a whole lot. I have a great episode though. I have Danita Johnson. She is the director of business development for the Los Angeles Clippers. She has a pretty cool career. She's only been in basketball, um, but she was with the D League, well now G League for a while. Um, And then she was in the WNBA for quite a bit with the, um, the Sparks. Uh, and she put together some really cool programs there, and we just had a ton of fun talking. Um, she gives some really good uh, practical tips, but we also talk about things like the importance of showing up, um, and we don't necessarily mean that in like your job, although yes, in your job, but how showing up is so important when you say you care about something, and we talk about it in terms of the world right now. We talk a lot about how we went to school for sport management. Um, Her story is similar to mine. And then we also talk about coming to terms with the fact that we're feminists and what that means or meant or, you know, whatever perception we had of it and how that changed. And um, for Danita, that was uh, after she put on this really great campaign with the Sparks. And I don't know, it's a cool story. So I hope you all enjoy it. Make sure you're rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast as well. That'll be my last plug before the interview. So go to Apple Pods, uh, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and rate us. Review us. Send a little note. I like little notes. You'll hear about that in this interview as well. Okay, now on to the interview with Danita Johnson. Hey, Danita. Hi, how are you? I am great. How are you? I'm good. Welcome onto the podcast. It's only taken us about eight, nine months to get this to happen. <laughs> Everything happens when it's supposed to. <laughs> Legit, I was looking back at uh, my notebooks that I keep, and I think we started chatting in like November. It sounds probably about right. I yeah. think that was it. Yeah, I think our uh, both of our schedules got a little out of control. <laughs> yeah, it's been a busy few months, but I like my life that way. Um, so I typically start this off by asking my guests how they fell in love with sports. So 
Can you share how you fell in love with sport? Yeah. So um, growing up, my dad was always active. He used to play like in adult softball leagues and things like that. And so I have an older brother that's like two years older than me. And they always just sign him up for all the sports. I remember he was like in T-ball and um, my sister had played softball for a little bit, but he played basketball and all that. So I didn't actually start playing sports. So I was a little bit older. Kind of wish I'd started younger. I think I would have probably taken a lot more seriously. Um, But mine was really in middle school is when I started like playing basketball and and high school. Um, So I played basketball uh, for all through those years. Um, I was not that great at all. And I think about it now mentally and I'm like, man, if you would have really focused, you could have probably like got this down. (laughs) But (laughs) so that's kind of where I fell in love with the game of just like basketball itself. And it was for me, I really fell in love with the sport because of the camaraderie. It wasn't necessarily the skill or the action of the game. It was like, it was a time for me to hang out with my friends. We got to do something fun together. Um, it was athletic. So that really made me fall in love with it, um, with, with the sport as a whole, and especially with basketball and sports overall was really about the team camaraderie. Did you, um, so you went to Western Carolina for Mm -hmm. your undergrad and you majored in sport management. Did you know going into school that that's what you wanted to focus on? Like for me, when I applied to UMass, uh, I applied to that sport management program and UMass and that was it because I, I, I take risks apparently. Um, so did you did you know going to Western Carolina that that's what you wanted to focus on or what you wanted your job like career to be? Yeah, I laugh because I kind of did the exact same thing. Um, <laughs> that's why I laugh that way. Um, so. I was actually a really, I was a decent student. I wasn't a bad student and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I know I remember looking at brochures and I only applied to two colleges. (laughs) And so um, Western Carolina had a sport management program on their brochure and a coaching program. And I was literally like, this looks cool. And now I think about it and how my life has turned out. I'm like, thank God this worked out for me. (laughs) It was was not as a calculated move as most people are with college as it probably should have been. Uh, Did you you know what it meant before going into this like school? Like in, you know, again, for background, when I was graduating high school, like I think we had had a computer for like maybe a year and a half. Yeah. two years. So like the internet, like, wasn't a big thing. Right. Right. And I think we had a, we had a home computer, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a big thing. And did I know what I was getting into? No, I was like, Oh, I'll go work. I did say this. I remember thinking, Oh, I could work in like the NBA or something and work in basketball. <laughs> but like, I had no clue. I didn't really know what the program was about, but I figured says sport management, I'll be able to work in sports. Do you want to, <laughs> do you want to know what I said? What? <laughs> My coach, my uh, track and cross country coach was like, what the hell are you going to do with the sport management degree? And I looked at him and I go, I am going to be the first female athletic director of this high school. <laughs> like, Dream big, Bobby. Dream big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had moments like that in my program. I was like, oh, I'll be an AD when I was in college. I was like, oh, this makes sense. I, I didn't know. I yeah. really didn't know. Yeah, I think that's so... I think even when you're in the program, right, it, you don't, you're learning about the business and the industry and like all these 
things that you kind of need to know in order to be successful at life in those things. Right. But nobody ever gets down to the nitty gritty of like, these are the types of titles and positions and like you kind of go towards marketing or you kind of go towards, you know, operations or events, but you don't really know what any of those jobs are or mean, or it's one of the fun things about this podcast is that um, I think we open people's eyes to the different types of jobs that people are able to have in the sports industry. Yeah. And it's so real because I remember just being in school and honestly, I, I, you didn't know, you had no clue of what it would look like. I think now these programs have it way better. I mean, I look at Baylor's program and like other schools that have really like shifted the model for sports management programs. But when I was in college, it wasn't that. And it wasn't really until my last semester um, we had to the, what this is the blessing of why I do what I do every day. My last semester of college, we had to take a seminar class and you had to take a full time internship. Mm-hmm. If it was not for that, I don't know how this would have turned out for me. Like that was the gate that that internship opened the gate for me. And it was because I had to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't because I didn't want to intern, but it was a part of the program. And I left college my last semester and moved back home and interned the whole semester. If it was not for how that class was set up, I don't know if my program would have given me the success that I'm having. I had to take an introduction to sports law class. I took one of those. Yeah, <laughs> everyone has to take it. But that yeah. was what that was the class that like really connected with me. Right. And like, mm-hmm. would I have thought to take that class on my own? Probably not. You know, I'm thankful that I had one of the top sports law professors of, you know, of the industry. And now he's Dean at Arizona state university and, you know, an incredible, uh, academic and, and he does arbitrations and all these things, but like, I don't know. I, I was floundering before I took that class. I had no clue what the hell I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we figured it out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know, what's interesting is I, and I just like, as I'm talking to you thinking like kids now, I say kids, right. That's real nice. Um, But they have the ability to just like pop onto LinkedIn and click like LA Clippers and see everyone's title. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of really start figuring out. That's actually a really good tip. Hey, people listening, if you don't know what you <laughs> want to do, that's a good idea. If you're, especially if you're like in college or high school, you know, just click on a couple teams on LinkedIn. Look at the people that are employed there, and look at the types of jobs that they have. Look yeah, and now people put like briefs in there about what they actually do. I know a lot of my roles have briefs on what I actually do versus just the title. So take a look. Right. Right. Or for some, it's like a full on resume. I've done that at times. Yes. Yes. That's I will say this, everybody, please don't do that. Do an edited version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I have changed mine since. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, it's like, OK, I'm assistant general counsel. What do you think I do? Everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's talk about how you got that first internship. Was it something set up through the school or? Was it something that you had to proactively go and get? I actually had to proactively go and get it. I applied for it online. I used teamwork online back then. I did do that. I'm pretty sure that's how I did that. 
um, and applied through it online, got a phone interview. I remember sitting in my dorm room doing a phone interview mm-hmm. and got the internship. So, and it was in my hometown, so it kind of worked out. And I just remember not even knowing at that point, again, going back to what you said, it was like, I was like a community relations kind of game ops marketing intern because it was with the uh, Fayetteville Patriots, which at that time it was the D League, which is now the G League. And who are they the developmental team for? Actually, they're no longer in existence. So oh. it, it was the first team that was ever named when the D League, well, now G, mm-hmm. uh, was very first created because their main offices for uh, G League used to be based in South Carolina. And right. so they had, if you go back in the history, most of the teams were like Southern Division teams. So we were, um, I think there might have been some affiliation with Charlotte, but it wasn't, the league was nowhere set up to what it is today. Right. Yeah, because today, m- many teams have have ownership over a developmental team as well, right? Yes. Many of the NBA believe, teams. Yes, I believe we're at 27 or 28 G League teams at this point. Yeah. And if people are wondering, well, why'd they go to G League? Well, it started as a developmental league, which was why it was D League. And then Gatorade. (laughs) That is correct. Sponsorship is beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) So there you go. We'll see what it's called in another 10 years. Yeah. (laughs) So what were you doing in that role? And, um, And what was it like living at home while you were doing it? It was actually really fun. All right. <laughs> I know most people would be like, oh, God, you went back home. Um, I lived with my dad when I was in high school and uh, he's a great dad. He was all about like all the friends. We used to host all of our basketball get togethers and everything at my house. Like it was crazy. It was awesome. But so going back home with for me was actually fun. I was close to a lot of my friends that I had grown up with. And um, for the internship part of things, it was it was a really neat experience. Like I was going out into the community, helping with community events. I was working. I remember sitting through dance auditions for the first time. I had never been a dancer, but it was like all of a sudden I felt like I knew something. Um, <laughs> and like helping put scripts together for games. And then um, what does that mean? Some acts, um, so game scripts. So pretty much uh, game is like a well-scripted television show, for lack of better words, is that everything that we do is scripted out from timeouts to um, you know, on the court activity. So I would actually sit and go through and help write out the script for the announcers um, of what they would be saying throughout the game. I think, um, I don't think I even, I didn't know about game scripts until right before preseason, my first year, I started in February. So it was like August. And I was like, what is this madness? (laughs) I didn't realize how like, you know, and, and, NBA generally is there's so much more action um, going on. So I I can only imagine how like down to the second it is um, for those types of things. Yeah, very much down to the second. Like I could tell at that point, like I could be like at three minutes and 33 seconds, this is happening. Like it was down to the second. And that includes everything from like where you're, you know, marketing team is going to be throwing T-shirts to, yeah. you know, when someone comes on the court for a game, you know, or a little promo to, I don't know, what's on the scoreboards, right? Yes, all of that. 
when it's all timed out. So you did that. Sorry, I interrupted just to kind of give some color for the listeners who might not know that. Um, but please go on with what you were saying about things that you were doing. Yeah, so that was um, the main pieces. And then um, after my internship, I actually got hired on full time. And then that's when I took over more of the community programs, game operations, and then was also started selling because my first boss, I credit him for me being a seller, um, is that, or at least introducing me to it was, he told me, um, you know, you can be great at all these other things, but if you don't learn to sell, it's not going to help you long-term in this business. So he would sit in his office. I'll never forget, sat in his office and I would sit out there by my desk and did some role play calls with me. So he, he always told me, he's like, this is, it's the core of our business. So you got to learn it. And what were those role play calls like? Oh my God, they were so nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember, but it was, it was great. Cause he would give me like all different kinds of scenarios. I remember making my first phone call. So this is before CRM and all of these other programs that many people have access to. So CRM is a customer relationship management. It's how you can track calls and track information on clients that many teams across leagues use now. I remember, and I actually still have some because I, I always wanted to keep them. I have a box of things to keep. I remember my call sheets of when I would have to write out the phone number I was dialing, who I was calling, and notes on the call. And every day I have to turn them in because that's how we track calls. Oh my gosh. And so <laughs> I remember like going through role plays with him and getting on the phone and making my first phone calls. And I just remember being so scared. Like I... If I could go back and hear myself now, my God, um, I'd be so nervous and be like, just hoping they didn't want to hang up on me. And like my first time was like asking somebody for money. Uh, it, it was it was hard. Like it's it's a hard thing to get used to. But um, I so love the experience. Yeah, I think um, so many people in our industry start off as your, you know, cold calling ticket salespeople. And yeah. uh, it's it's certainly an experience that people often look back on fondly. Um, I remember trying to call, like I did a little bit of it at UMass and I just remember being like, I don't like this. I don't like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like, hi, buy tickets mm-hmm. to see the UMass football game. No, we have football. Yeah, we have football. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When um, when did you decide that you were really going to, you know, focus on the sales aspect of our industry? It wasn't actually until my second job. So I did the Patriots for another year and they actually ended up folding. That team was folding. And my last day of work, I had done some they did a, a G League showcase back then. And um, one of the ladies um, from the league office, I had done some work with her on projects. So she had got to know me. And I ended up moving to Bakersfield, California, because she was named the president for the new team out there. And so I ended up moving to California. And in that role, I was doing most of my similar things, but took on a heavier sales role. And I guess I just relaxed. And all of a sudden I started to see success. And like, I did like $90,000 in business in nine months, um, which in a G League setting is really good. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was like, I was like, oh, this is happening. And that's when it started to click for me. Um, 
I started really focusing it on group sales. I did some individuals as well, but I just found this niche of like bridging the gap between community organizations to find ways for them to generate revenue and also selling tickets and experiences. So talk about that connection a little bit and, and what those types of programs are and what it is that as somebody in group sales, you know, what you would be focused on and what you would be creating for them. Yeah, I always tell and I've learned this exercise years ago from a mentor is that when you look at group sales, everybody's involved in an organization. You can probably think about two or three different groups that you're probably involved in, just like most of the listeners. Right. Start there. So it would be like, OK, I go to church on Sundays. If I go to church on Sundays, I bet I can reach out to my church about coming out and doing a group night with us. And so I literally started just thinking about things I was engaged with and liked. And then I would be able to go and meet with somebody and have a conversation because it was a level of engagement for me already. Then as I started to branch out more, what I would do is I started to learn to be a listener and to be like, let them teach me about their organization or company. And the more I did that with people, the more they opened up because it wasn't like I came in and was like, I knew it all. I was like, teach me about your business so I can show you how we can work together. And that was the approach I started to take. And it worked really well. Um, as you're learning about someone's business, you know, what was it that you were able to to show them or, you know, how did that connect them back to the sale? I think because of what I identify with their needs. Um, so whatever connected, it was like, I'm helping them get to a solution in which they're trying to get to or a form of entertainment in which they're trying to relay back to their group or organization. So I think that's really where the connectivity happened. I hope that answers kind of what you were asking. Yeah. I, um, are, can you give maybe a more uh, tangible example? I'm just, I want to make sure that the listeners are, are connecting the, the dots, which they're very bright and I'm sure that they do, but. Sometimes yeah. I have to talk like I'm a five-year-old to myself. So, you know. <laughs> gotcha. So I would say um, when I worked in Arizona, one of the things I did, I worked with the Arizona Coaches Association. And I was focusing mainly on women's basketball at this time because it was the summer months. And so this was like typically all-male basketball showcase they would do every summer. They're all-star games. And so for me, initially when I first had the conversation with them, it was like, oh, it's women's basketball. You know, I, I'm not 100% sure if our guys will be engaged with that. So as I went through it, I talked about obviously the play and the style of the women's game and things of that nature. But what really sold them was I was able to find an access point for them to host their games and events that they wanted to host at our facility. So to be in our arena and host there actually bridged that gap. So it was no longer they weren't as worried about who was playing. Versus the experiences that they were receiving. So them having access to arena to play their game, their all-star game, and then to then those attendees to be recognized in game at the other, at our game later on was a form in which became a win-win for them. Um, so that's like one of the organizations I had worked with in the past. And that program, um, the first year did, I think we had like 200 or so attendees. Um, year three, gosh, this was so long ago. I think we were over... We were between like seven to 800, I believe, in year three. It could be awesome. Wow. It was a long time ago. But it was like, it was a growth thing of just little by little we grew it, but it was also finding a point of connectivity. 
And was that when you were at the Mercury and Sons? Mm-hmm. Yes, that was during that time period. So you, you moved on from the developmental league teams to an NBA team and a WNBA team. Um, were you doing, were you focused on the W team or were you kind of in between both? I was focused on the W team. I did have access to sell the NBA team as well. But my main focus, I focused on W. And how did you find that compared to the developmental league? You know, focusing now on a women's team um, and at the highest level, right? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think for me, I love challenges. (laughs) And so I think that's one of the reasons why I've drawn to so many different situations in my life of in my career is for the challenge. So at the time I went to the Suns, we were in the Western Conference Finals. Like I could send out, and this is when we used to fax orders. I could (laughs) send out um, an order via fax and have like 100 tickets back in like 20 minutes for like our games for Suns. So I could easily do that. For the W, I had to really build a business. I had to find ways to connect. I had to, you know, defy the odds. And so I think when I was doing that, that really helped me with my sales skills. Um, I finished second in the league in sales in my second season. And so it was just like a challenge I set forth to myself was like, okay, this is quote unquote, a tougher space. Um, But for me, it was a space where I was like, if I can master this, I'm going to develop my skill level a lot quicker. Yeah. I mean, and that's a great way to look at it. Um, why the quote unquote around tougher space? Because it's always perceived that um, you hear that a lot about women's basketball, that it's just it's so hard to sell. And I, you know, it's women's sports and that goes beyond basketball. Lots of level of women's sports that are perceived that way. And I, I my view on this um, is that it's more than it's a bigger issue. It's not just the game itself. It's a societal issue of accepting women in different roles. Um, And I I say that in the most respectful way, but I feel like, you know, women's athletics is measured differently, but it's also not because of their ability. It's also a societal view of women in in athletics. You've, um, you stayed in the W for quite a while. You moved over to the Mystics. And then mm-hmm. um, you spent a, a, a real good amount of time with the Spark. And while you were at the Spark, you had this great campaign that you and your team put together, which is the We Are Women campaign. Do you mind talking a bit about that? Sure. I think that's kind of where some of this view comes from after doing that campaign. Um, so the We Are Women campaign was a piece that was put in front of me from our ownership group when I was with the Sparks. And it's so funny. I think I had been there maybe like a month and they came to me with this program. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to find a way to sell out Staples Center because it hadn't been done in the history of the Sparks to have a true sellout upstairs, downstairs. And so we were like, okay, how do we make this happen? (laughs) And so we had to develop a platform. And I remember staying up late and trying to sketch a plan of how in the world am I going to do this? Um, And so from that and lots of conversations and building, we came up with this We Are Women campaign and it became my baby. And um, the game actually took place in August. So it was about nine months. 
Um, that's why we always call it my baby uh, <laughs> before it actually happened. <laughs> so, nice. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a good running joke in our office. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, it, we launched in March in Women's History Month. And the whole thing was to showcase women in our community and what they were doing to change our community and to have an influence in our community. And so when we launched the campaign the first year, um, it was called We Are Strong, We Are Women. Um, was our tag that we did. And with that, we showcased all the ways in which women were strong and who they were and all the different aspects of women. Um, And so we did a series uh, every Wednesday, which became our Women's Wednesday series. And me and my videographer would go out and we would actually interview local women in the community and have them share their story from how they developed their business or running a nonprofit. And we showcased them. At the same time, what we wanted to do from a community aspect is we wanted to um, have women and girls from all over the community that maybe didn't have access or hadn't attended one of our games to be a part of it. So we developed an ambassador team of over 50 women that represented all different walks of life um, to help us spread this message. And so we had local organizations from local labor unions to um, businesses, some of them purchased tickets for their employees and their families. And at the same time, people were purchasing tickets for local women and youth um, nonprofits and organizations throughout the community to come out to the game. Uh, the first year, we actually did a full outdoor festival, um, which were all businesses and organizations that were doing things that were front facing for women in our community. Um, which was really neat. We had a, a panel it uh, featured like Layla Ali, Jackie Joyner Kersey talking about their um, their their history and the things that they've done and women's empowerment as a whole. And then we also had a process where we nominated local women in the community um, to be our women of the year. And we would have and we had the public actually vote on who would be our woman of the year. So it was it was a full on campaign and it was all for one night. Um, we're so excited. We actually accomplished our goal of our sellout, 19,076. We'll never forget that number in my life. Um, <laughs> I don't do tattoos, but I definitely thought about it. Um, <laughs> and so um, it was huge. And it, it was a great thing for us that we did and, and a huge accomplishment and a very eye-opening experience for me as a woman in sports um, and a woman as a whole. And I think it it changed my view of being having that feminist label that I think sometimes can have a positive and negative connotation by the society that it was okay to be that and to be a strong woman. Um, so me, for me personally, I walked away from the first time I did that, walked away with a lot as a woman. And I think it also affected a lot of other women, but uh, personally and professionally, it really helped me grow into understanding the stance that I can have as a woman in this industry and not being afraid to, to stand on that. Um, because I think sometimes just like I'm also a minority that we feel like we have all these labels and people get afraid of these labels, um, that it puts us in a, in a box. But I think also if we don't own that space and hold strong to that of who we are, um, it's also a misstep. So I, I really try to balance that now. Yeah. So, I mean, what an incredible accomplishment to begin with. Thank Um, you. I love, love, love that outdoor festival idea because I think, I mean, anytime that you can 
bring a focus on local organizations, businesses, and then if you have the ability and you have the platform to make it focused on, you know, women or minority owned or facing, right? That's huge for those businesses and is, is great from a support aspect. The engagement within the community sounds like it was phenomenal, which can often be, I mean, the W does such a good job with that anyway, but I think like for a lot of other teams, that can be where there's a disconnect, right? Yeah. Especially when it's related around women's things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one thing we also wanted to make sure is that we didn't lose sight of that. These are athletes, regardless of sex. You know, the women's empowerment piece is one thing, but we also wanted to make sure that our players are seen as athletes. So it's like twofold to this, you know? So right. it's, it's, it's another piece that they're athletes and that's it, you know? Right. So. And, you know, one of the things that you said that really resonated with me was taking ownership of or allowing yourself to connect with the term or the word feminist. And mm-hmm. I mean, I told you what I said to my high school coach I would never have considered myself a feminist at the time, you know, because to me, that was someone out doing crazy things. And, you know, like we all know the stories and, and the visuals that come to mind. And uh, maybe because we wanted to be cool boys, girls, right. We wanted to be the cool girl Mm -hmm. who hung out with all the boys. Like, cause I did, I had a ton of guy friends. Right. And it was just one of those, like, not realizing what it really means um, and what it, you know, uh, is meant to help. And, um, and also not, uh, you know, it, this may just be me, but like I said, I had a lot of guy friends and I really didn't have a close group of girlfriends. I had a few from like my cross country team, but, you know, really even then, you know, I hung out with our guys team more. Um, it wasn't until law school for me. And, and the older I get, the more important that's become. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's funny how sometimes these events can make our, our, I don't know, our, uh, perception of ourselves. Um, and, and what we need change. Yeah. It, and, and that's exactly what it did for me. It was like, oh my God, like this is part of my voice. And if I don't speak up or if I don't, if I can't be a representative, one, how can I ask all these other people to do so? And how can I ask people to support something if it was a space where I didn't embrace that? You know, so mm-hmm. it really, it really impacted me. Um, I remember after the game, that full week after, I was like in a really weird headspace. And I remember my um, team president coming to me and she was like, are you okay? I was like, yes, but I think something just changed. (laughs) I I was like, something has changed. Like, I'm I'm different. You know, this this made me different. I I, I see things differently. Did you have, um, as a result, a shift in 
in your thoughts about there only being room enough for one and like that competitiveness that we as women often have against each other because you know there can really only be one woman in the room they're not going to let more of us in the room right um did did you see that shift at all after putting together this event and it's interesting i think i recognized how prevalent that was versus a reverse feeling like i didn't see it as much Mm um i knew it was kind of there but i think i recognized how prevalent it was because it also was and I, I've known this from the W side of a lot and just working with women athletics is that I remember we used to have lists of women owned businesses that we would call. Mm-hmm. And it was the hardest list for us to sell. And it would be like, how does that make sense? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in, in, in the moment of this campaign, it was just like that become even more starking. But it was also like, how do we change the behavior and change the perspective, the perception? And I think that that was part of this for me was to do that. Um, so going back to your original piece of just saying, you know, or your original question of asking, did it change my perception of it can be more than one? Absolutely. I don't think I ever thought it could just be one. I think for me also, because I'm a minority, it's a little bit different, too, because I feel like it's a little double edged sword sometimes. Right. Because right. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I could sit in a room with lots of women, but I may be like, you're only still the only one. Yeah. Woman. You yeah. got it. So it's, it's a weird space for me on that one. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I wonder, you know, you're saying calling all these women's women owned businesses and them being the hardest to sell and part of it being their own perception of women's athletics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the, well, I don't want to just be a women owned business. Right. And I think for a while, I mean, you alluded, you, you said this, like sometimes we don't embrace our labels and we, we almost kind of push them away. We don't want to be looked at as a, you know, a, a woman lawyer. We want to just be looked at as a lawyer, which is, you know, yes, absolutely. But until we're at parity, there's an importance to that woman label, right? Correct. So I can see how, how that would be. Did it, um, did you replicate it? I did two more years. Yeah. So my, I've done that every year that I was there. So my first, second, third year, I was there for three seasons. And so each year did that. It was amazing. And like we, um, the, um, what was my second one? Oh my gosh. I I can't believe I just forgot the tag we did. Oh, we did, uh, one campaign was, is that you could, uh, pretend to care, but you can't pretend to show up oh. because, <laughs> oh. yeah. Oh, hi. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we we kind of did that, a spin off that it was like a little bit softer, but it really was, it was like yeah. show up because, and, and we used to say that a lot when we go out and speak, like you can, you can do that. Like, you know what, let's say you want to buy tickets and, and do that. But if you don't actually show up to the game, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, or People that donate to causes, but do they stand for you when you need to? Uh, finances are great, but showing up means another thing. So, um, what a great yeah. campaign! Yeah, so that was a uh, it was fun. And then the other one we did my last year was uh, "What's Your Legacy," mm-hmm. um, 
And so we did this great campaign where we showcased our players like in regular clothing and then also into their uniforms and pretty much took labels of what people like all the things they've accomplished and listed them and and about leaving our legacies and what legacies we want to leave behind as women in life. And so um, it was great. Um, We did a lot of interviews that showcased people talking about what their legacy was or what they wanted it to be. And we, from there, also developed a We Are Girls campaign um, after that first year. And with the We Are Girls, we do, um, we were, we were doing programming and like many events uh, for young girls. And so we would bring in, uh, we did, oh, we did one that was great. We did like a modeling one. <laughs> um, I'm still, I think she's amazing. Her name's Anika Turner Stevens. She has this um, company, I mean, an organization called Runway for Peace that's based in Compton. She was actually one of our, uh, she was our We Are Woman one of the years, uh, 2016. But so we've continued programming to continue to enrich the lives of young girls um, and women. And we all, one of the things we also did was I had all of, with my ambassadors, mm-hmm. I would open it up to do volunteer events. So like one time during the summer, um, you know, a lot of kids didn't have meals um, when they're out of school. So we did like a food packaging event. Um, we did an etiquette course for the young girls before. So it was beyond just the game. We also did programming throughout the community to enrich girls and women in, in the community. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thank I you. mean, there's just, there's so much good there. Um, you know, I'm still stuck on that. You can pretend to care, but, you know, showing up thing. And yeah. And how that ties in so well with um, the new She Is campaign. And Mm -hmm. that's out there, which my listeners, we have a challenge. You're supposed to watch a women's game and post a picture of you doing it on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and tag the podcast at LTPF pod on all three and hashtag She Is Challenge to be entered to win a goodie basket. So remember yeah, to do that. that either at a game or at home watching a game. I don't care how you're doing it. <laughs> if you're watching a Sparks game, you might see me courtside because I still go and support. <laughs> well, I mean, and so that's the interesting thing for you is, you know, you moved from the Sparks to the Clippers, but you're playing in the same building still. Yes. Which yeah, is kind of so cool. Down the street. It is. It is. It's a cool feeling. And so I, and for me, like, I feel like even in my move to the Clippers and switching over back to men's basketball because it's been a long time for me for this to be a sole focus um, and basketball as a whole. It's like, now how do I take the things I've learned at those levels and help implement them at this level, you know, so that we can right. have even more mass appeal. And it's, it's like you said, it's like, okay, now I'm that woman in the room. What other women are my, am I bringing with me? You know, how do we do this? Yeah. And I mean, I think when you and I were, were speaking previously, you kind of created this role, right? I didn't create it by myself. No, it was a, it was a role that was created for me. Yep, that, that's <laughs> what I mean. In. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Like, yeah. yeah was, no, she hired job. herself at the club. Yeah, that's did, what happened. Did, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, did not do that. I like my job. <laughs> I would like to keep it. Um, but no, it was a great opportunity for me. And, you know, kudos to our, our team president, um, Gillian, who really gave me an opportunity to come here and, and build strategies and find new ways. I oversee our G League team. Um, so our president from there reports back to me and I work on a lot of special projects 
from youth basketball um, to 2K, uh, developing strategies and implementing programs to help generate revenue. So it's like all the things in which I have been doing for most of my career, um, taking them and doing it in multiple segments of our business here for the Clippers. And I, and I truly enjoy that. Yeah, that's really cool, especially with 2K being, you know, brand new. Um, yes. So you're learning along with everyone else. I am learning a lot. I went to E3 and I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Yeah. Our um, our last guest was Nicole Pike at Nielsen e- um, Esports, and okay. I'm like, I don't understand anything. <laughs> I might need to talk to her because I am learning a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. Um, but um, Brendan Donahue's um, kind of the the head of 2K at the league, right? And yes, he's amazing. I've met him a couple times. He's um, you know, and again, listening to him talk about about this as it was getting ramped up, I'm like, I don't understand how it works. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's something that's like taken a lot of people some time to really wrap their heads around. So for you to be involved in that is is pretty cool. Yeah, it's fun. I love the challenge of it, too, because it's like, all right, I need to ramp and learn a new space as quickly as possible. And how do I make this work? You know, so it's a lot of fun for me. Yeah. One of the cool things about um, your organization is the number of women in leadership positions. Um, yes. You guys have a really strong, and again, your your president is a woman. Um, so you have a lot of, of women in, in very high positions there. Yeah, it's inspiring. Yeah. It's very inspiring. And I think we make great leaders and I'm excited to work with the, the women that have the opportunity to work with on a daily basis. And um, you know, I think it's just about coming together as a whole, you know, mm-hmm. having diversity, having males and females. I think it gives perspective. The world looks different. So if our front offices reflect that, I think it's just a beautiful thing to see. Oh, for sure. Um, do you do you all do any or do you personally do any you know, mentoring programs or, you know, how are you working to bring people up with you? Yeah. Um, I actually, I have like mentors that I meant like mentees that I do individually. Um, I have a lot of people that like reach out to me about like talking to me about career in sports and how to do things. So like I'll do breakfasts and lunches, um, things like that. It really focused on, um, women in the sports industry and I have males that I do it with as well. So it's a lot of fun for me. Yeah. I, I can only imagine you have such good, your experience is, is so varied. I mean, yes, there's a significant period of time where you're focused on ticket sales, right? But because yeah. of your connection with CR and then, you know, we kind of skipped over, but you ended up being an SVP at the Sparks where you oversaw marketing sales and community. Um, so you're the, the breadth of your experience has got to be so helpful for you in this new role, but also as a mentor. Yeah. And I think for me, which I've loved, and I, I, this goes back to my internships and starting my career in, in G League. Um, and why I say for a lot of young people, if you can go to a smaller team for an internship, I highly recommend it because it let me learn from the very beginning, from the very beginning of my career, how to respect what other people's jobs are because I was seeing the work that they were putting in and how to communicate to them in all those different roles at a very young age. And so when I got to bigger aspects and to bigger teams and bigger companies, it was like, 
I immediately had a mutual respect for the different departments. And so now when I talk to different people, yes, I may not work in their department for like a mentee, but I can probably give some perspective on thought, you know, Mm -hmm. and and what it takes because I've had to cross over and obviously for my SVP role, having to manage and be over departments and making sure things were running right. um, I can give some insight. I may not know them personally um, of who their bosses are, but to give some insight on how to progress. And I think that that's extremely helpful. I don't think you ever have to know the, you know, the individuals, not aside from obviously your mentee, right? But like the other individuals, you don't have to know that are involved with their jobs because, you know, you've had bosses and you've had employees and, um, and so I think, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm still so wrapped up in one of the things you said earlier. It's really funny, actually. <laughs> it just keeps popping into my head and it's going to stick with me for a bit, I think. Um, That's good, though. No, it is. It, 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 and it, I think it's because it, um, I think it resonates for me. It's the, it's the showing up thing. It's resonating for me so much because of the She Is campaign, but also because of just the world we're living in right now and, and how important that has been. Um, yeah. in recent time. Uh, it's so real. I mean, think about, I mean, yeah. we, we, I'm gonna go there for like two seconds. <laughs> we <laughs> but, can do it. All right. If, if people were actually showing up in the current world state of what's happening and showing up to make a difference. And I know we have lots of things happening in our country, but like when you show up, you can affect change. Huge amounts of change. Sometimes right. it takes a while. I mean, we can't, we can't happen overnight, but, but, you know, sustained showing up, you know, continuous Mm -hmm. showing up. That's, it's just not at the peak of the moment. It's after the moment is not front and center. It's before it happens because you were being in a preventative measure. Like those things are critical. Yeah. I mean, it's what, you know, it's what immigration attorneys were doing before the ban. Right. And calling out some of the stuff that was going on, even under different administrations. It's Mm -hmm. what the kids, the young adults um, uh, from Stoneman Douglas continue to do, um, Mm -hmm. even though we're, you know, we don't necessarily see it. Like I follow some of them on Twitter and I'm like, these kids, I mean, they're they're young adults, you know, but I'm thinking about like I was 17, I was 18. uh, Right. You know. Um, the women's march, you know, the, the continued, um, ability to mobilize, I think has been remarkable. I think one thing I will say, especially in the women's space, I think I feel okay saying this out loud, but is that we have a lot of women empowerment events, right? Yeah. A lot of them, (laughs) but what are the action items that we're providing to these women to move forward? Right. And I think about everybody loves a good rah-rah moment, right? Mm -hmm. But how are we actually, and that's one thing I tried to do with our women's campaign is that whether it was teaching the young girls a skill or providing something community, what's the action items that we're doing to enrich the people around us? And this goes beyond women, but these rah-rah moments are great, but if there's no action or follow-up, or tangible takeaways for people to integrate into their lives to make it better, 
or to help those around them, then we're missing it. Right. And I think sometimes you need the rah, rah, right. You need to get people together. You need to get people excited, but you're right. And one of the things that I, I feel like has come as a result of the women's March, for example, or the number of women running for office. Yes. And that's been amazing to watch. And, um, but you're right. We do need to be able to like do something, right? So whether it's you go run for office or you, I don't know, buy a sports team if you have the money (laughs) or you start a podcast, you know, if it's something that is, you know, adding value and is helpful to other people. Um, I, I think I just gave myself compliments. Um, <laughs> that is perfectly, that's a good compliment. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think whatever it is, you know, you start, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I don't have enough money to buy a sports team. Yeah, I know. Neither do I. Um, but like maybe you start, you know, um, taking the, that little kid who is this only child down the street and you notice that she doesn't have anyone to play with and she doesn't really, you know, her parents aren't around a lot. Maybe you just start talking to her, you know, and kind of take her under your wing. And if you don't feel safe in spaces like that, it's fine. Like you don't have to, and I agree, it doesn't have to look like everybody else's. Right. One of the things, and I try to be really good about this. It's like, even for us in a professional state, for all your professional listeners out there, when that young kid sends you a LinkedIn message, reply. Like just, it's yeah. the simplest thing. Like you just don't know. And it's not to be like, you have to be in a long dialogue. Maybe you can't do a 15 minute call with them, but be like, do you have one or two questions you want me to answer? This, this is just changing the scope of how we're like the scope of what we're talking about, but it's just like no, it's- moments where you have an opportunity to help even as professionals and I try to be good about it. Every once in a while, I will miss. And like, I've, I've done this where I emailed somebody like a month later. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Oh, I thought it, you know, <laughs> but like, yeah. but I think these are moments where it's like, okay, I may not be the one that I want to go volunteer every Saturday and do that. I'm not like that. You know, I don't do that every weekend. But if it's like, oh, I could help this person if they want to grab coffee with me, or if I can just do this one thing to make somebody else's life better, to kind of create the ripple effect. Let's do it. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and you're right. Like some people aren't joiners. I mean, I do, I will say if you're in sports and you're not a joiner, that's, yeah. <laughs> um, but like it, it's, it's something, you know, that's, that's it, it, interesting. Um, yeah. But I do, but listen, because we join our team or our organization or whatever, sometimes you, like I, I get a little weird about like joining running clubs or like I do it for like, I don't know, two times. And I'm like, no, I'm out. Um, yeah. I get weird. It's fine. I do that. Yeah. I have that. I don't know why. I, like yeah. I totally jive with these people, but I never show up again. I don't yeah. get it. Commitment yeah. issues, whatever. I have um, some of those. Don't worry. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> See also forever single. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I'm gonna have that audit- edited out. Honestly, I might keep that in. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, it could just be interacting with that person who like, you know, s- sends you a tweet, you know, like, you know, hey, love what you guys are doing or whatever. And you're like, 
cool. Thanks, buddy. Just like, thanks, buddy, is enough. Yeah. Um, that It's like that acknowledgement and validation, like, hey, I see you. Um, yes. Is often really um, what can change someone's, you know, day or life, I think. Um, yeah. Not to make it sound too big, but <laughs> I will say there are circumstances where by acknowledging somebody and by, you know, um, showing some kindness, you you might change the course of, you know, something that they may have been thinking of doing to themselves or what have you. Like, you just never know, right? Exactly. That went dark really quick. Um, it really did. But we all, we meant good in that. It was just, a, it's a message of goodness. Yeah. So. Yeah, sure. Um, I think these are all very handy tips. Good. The They're life skills. I think they help in the workplace. Honestly, it does translate. Sure. It really does because... Everything that we just spoke about in the last three to five minutes translates to how you treat people in the workplace to translate the culture that can be created in offices um, and how things are, you know, how people are treated. And so you take some of those life skills that you're applying in the day to day outside and you bring that into the workplace. You're going to create a really good environment of good people yeah. and good people win. I, I, I say that all the time. Like I <laughs> I, I actually just explained some, to somebody my whole championship thought process. And I always say, <laughs> seriously, I, I went through this. So this is why it doesn't apply. I say teams that win championships have the it. And what I mean by that, it's not just the players on the field. Something is going right in those back offices. Something is going right in what they're doing in their community. Their purposes are aligned. And when that stuff starts to sink in, right? I think that helps bring the Commonwealth Championships. I really do. I I can see that. I'm like mm -hmm. thinking of a couple of, you know, teams and things. And yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's right. I, you know, and like the little things, like I said, they mean a lot to people. You know, I, I will 100 thousand percent until the day I die appreciate a handwritten note always yeah some people think it's like old-fashioned and whatever and I am the least like traditional human being on this planet but for whatever reason I just know I think I know how a quick like congratulations note to someone you know, randomly mm -hmm. lifts their day. And I, whenever I get a little note, I'm always like, oh, what did I get in the mail that isn't a bill or isn't, you know, outside counsel I, bill? <laughs> I received a handwritten note. Was this yesterday I got this? I've had it sitting on my desk and have not moved it. <laughs> because it was just, and it was from a person that it wasn't even where they, in my mind, it wasn't even something that I needed to thank you for. And so it was just, it was a good moment. So yeah, yeah I'm with you on those. Yeah. Like so sweet or so thoughtful. You know, mm. I, I had a friend, um, she listens to this. It's so funny. Um, but you know, we're friends, but we don't like hang out all the time. We don't talk all the time. And, and she lives in town, but, um, when one of my fur babies um, crossed over the Rainbow Bridge a few months ago, I got a little surprise, you know, at work. And it was, she had taken some pictures that I posted of him 
on my various social media accounts and printed (laughs) them and sent me like a really, really sweet note and a frame. And I was like, oh, she and she found out from the podcast, I think, because it it, it, like I got it like a a few weeks afterwards. So she must have like, you know, and it was just like, that's something that I'll remember forever that she did that. Yes. You know, Um, and, you know, it's just. Again, I, I, I will forever do them. It's kind of weird when I send them to people who have never met me or talked to me. <laughs> I'll admit. But they seem to generally get a good reaction because I do. I send, um, you know, uh, SBJ every day, you know, has like executive transactions, right? So whenever I see a woman um, getting like the top role in whatever it is that she does in sports, I usually send a congratulations note. Because that is so wonderful. It's such a big deal to me still. I mean, I love it when I see ADs that are women. Mm. Um, and like, you know, I get like really cute and nice like emails back. So I'll include my business card because they're going to be like, who the hell from this organization is sending me a <laughs> card, right? And so um, I include my business card and, uh, and it's just, it's something I've been doing for a while now. I started doing it a couple of years ago. And, um, yeah, like that is so, and that's as simple as what we talked about, like just replying to a message and you just never know how you can. Yeah. And that's also a great form of women supporting women. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I mean, I think it's just a good boost. Like even, um, Tampa has done like the, the local newspaper has done like most powerful women in Tampa sports type thing. Every single right. one of them got a note. Like. Oh, and it's how, it, it's how I got connected with some of the women who have now come on the podcast well before the podcast was even an idea. Yeah. Um, it was genuine. It was yeah. a genuine just outreach. I love that. Yeah. I mean, and I, I don't mention the podcast at all in any of these notes. Granted, they like look me up on LinkedIn. They see it, you know, it's thing, but it's not about the podcast or me. It's just about being like, Hey, I see that you did something awesome. Congratulations. I'm contacting you from out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I like it. Yeah, it's fun. Um, one of the last things I ask people is, "What do you do by way of self care?" I know you That's and I kind question. of talked about this in yeah. in one sense before we started recording. Yeah, I I believe in it. <laughs> I so do. I um I worked really really hard when I was in my early twenties. And it got to a point where I could not, like, it was like I was developing anxiety. I've actually never really said this in an interview before at all. Um, don't know why I just said it all, but it's real. It happened. And so I'd worked so much. I developed anxiety when I was in my early 20s. And in that moment, I learned that it shaped me for my future roles that I was like, no matter what happens, if I don't take care of myself first, I won't have the ability to help others. So for self-care for me, whether it's hanging out with my friends, I travel. I love to get on an airplane. Mm-hmm. I probably am somewhat like a mini travel agent. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished a big trip recently, so I do love travel. I will spend time with my family um, when I'm really consistent and good because we have our times. We're not. I get up in the mornings and I work out before I come to work and I take that time for myself between 45 minutes to an hour of just me where 
to me, it's something about before I do anything for anybody in the morning, I do something for me. And so um, I try to do that. Even if it's not working out, I try to make my mornings about me because everything else becomes a hustle and bustle. But if I slow down in the mornings, I realize it does give me a better temperament through the day. I like that. I like that a lot. And just so you know, um, we here at LTPF are a very safe and uh, understanding group when it comes to things that have to do with mental illness, um, whether it's clinical or just temporary. Um, When it comes to things like anxiety and depression, I'm very open about um, my having it, uh, both of those, and being first diagnosed when I was like 13. So um you're yeah. in you're in good hands here with that my crew is thank uh, you they're they're a good crew when it comes to those things so um, awesome. but sometimes that's what it takes right is um is realizing when your body and mind are uh sending up the warning flags yes um, they came up real quick i was like <laughs> oh never saw you before never yeah. saw you before <laughs> Don't ever want to see you again. How do we fix this? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. No, and and you know, it's funny. I um I think yesterday on some of my social media I just shared a an article about the difference between a panic attack and a heart attack. Um mm-hmm. because that's you know, something that people aren't ever really sure of, right? And yeah. uh and you know, the number one tip is don't Google your symptoms. <laughs> That Just is a really good don't one. do it. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, well, I know that making sure that you're taking care of yourself first is one of the best ways to combat that um, and to, to stave it off. And I love slow mornings. Um, yes. I, I have a habit of being unable to wake up <laughs> and therefore <laughs> have rushed mornings. But I'm working on it. I woke up yeah. the other day and went running at six thirty in the morning, and there you I have go. No idea how the hell that happened. <laughs> yeah. Hey, sometimes it happens, and you're like, "Yes, I don't know where it came from, but it worked." <laughs> oh yeah, there was an Instagram story and everything afterwards. I'm like, "Of course, you people you are not going to believe this. It's Monday morning, and <laughs> you earned that. You earned it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you post that. Go for it. <laughs> exactly." Um, how can people connect or follow along with what you've got going on in life? Yeah. Um, I have my LinkedIn page has a lot of stuff. So Danita Johnson on LinkedIn. So definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I have a Twitter, which I'm working on being better of activating. Um, but my <laughs> Twitter is Danita D Johnson. Um, Which was so really just, confusing for me, by the way, because your middle initial is F and I don't understand anything. Right. You know what? <laughs> because <laughs> at the time in which I was trying to create that, I was trying to keep something as simple as possible. And I just really wanted it to be my name. Yeah. And it was gone. And I was like, all right, I'll just do the other D because that was the best variation that I could get. So it threw me off, too. OK, so, I was I was searching earlier today and I was like, I don't know what this is. Right. Nope, this is the right person. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, nope, nope, that's me. It's um, yeah, no, it's confusing a little bit, but people do call me D if that makes it feel makes it better. Hey, if if you approve of being called D, then that's all that yeah. matters. So I've, I've 
called people by their first initial and then realized after the fact that they don't appreciate that. So it's cool. <laughs> yeah, so people call me by that a lot. So uh, that works as well. So on Twitter, it's uh, Danita D. Johnson. And then if you're going to look for her on um, on LinkedIn, I just suggest Googling Danita Johnson Clippers because apparently Danita Johnson is a very common name. Yes. Yes, it is. So that's a, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Cause when I just put in Danita Johnson, I'm like, Nope, she doesn't work at Red Robin. Yeah. No. Nope. Uh, so, uh, great. Great. We appreciate you coming on and, um, you know, taking the time to, to chat with us today. I want to ask you about one last thing. Um, Go for it. Can you tell me about where the quote on your LinkedIn profile came from and what it means to you? And can you tell everyone what it is or do you need me to read it? No, no, no. I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) Hold on. I'm pulling it up. So I even quote myself correctly, but I know exactly what you're talking about and I know why I have it there. I love it. Um, When I saw it, I loved it. Yes. My quote on my LinkedIn, and this is why I say follow my LinkedIn. This is more like a little bit more into my inside of life, but it is leadership is not a position of title. It is action and example. Oh, this one means a lot to me. Um, The reason I put this is because I feel like we talked about labels before and we talked about job roles and you can be an account executive, but it doesn't mean you can't be a leader. You can be a CEO. And you may not be a leader. So I feel like it is through people's actions and examples of what they put forth in their business and in their lives that really form leadership. And so it's something that I even tell myself that I even think too, I tell myself this too, because I try not to get caught up in titles too much, even though we want to earn those and right. it's like that rewarding thing, that label. Right. But that doesn't, that doesn't define my leadership. It's how I, can be an example to everybody else and the actions I put forth every day that truly are me being a leader. Um, so that's kind of where it comes from. Thank you so much to Danita for coming on. I can't even begin to describe the number of emails back and forth she and I had prior to recording this interview. Um, I think we've rescheduled it no less than 10 times. Our schedules have gotten really busy and it it just is, you know, work has to come first, obviously. So I'm really happy that we finally were able to make it happen. And I am so pleased with all of the little tidbits that she gave y'all. As a reminder, she is challenge, go do it. And make sure you're hitting Apple Pods, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, at radioinfluence.com and you can check out my website it may or may not be up to date I don't know um, rate, review, subscribe and follow us on all the all the social media people I'd love to hear you poking at us for all the silly things we do on the podcast and what you would like to hear more of and what you would like to not hear more of with that I hope you have a great week and uh, we've got some really cool guests coming up I can't wait to share them with you. Bye. This is a Crush Performance Quick Fix on Radio Influence.
We talk with Brandon Aiken, the Assistant Athletic Director for Sports Medicine at the University of South Carolina. Basically, you know, it, it kind of started out as, um, you know, I love my job, and, and my job is to, to return athletes as quickly and safely as possible. You know, and, then, and in that time, you get to have uh, some good relationships with athletes and things like that, but it became a, some of the, somewhat of an issue at, at, from time to time where it, it was kind of a running joke. You know, like, oh, I broke my leg. Just put some ice on it. You know, that was always the answer. Just put ice on it. Just put ice on it. And then one day I, I decided, you know what? We're just going to stop. You know, and it actually, you mentioned Gary. I, I, I saw a video with he and, uh, and Kelly uh, talking about that issue. And it, it just clicked. It's like, you know, it was, it was one of those moments where it was kind of an aha thing. And it, and it really kind of gave me the courage hearing them talk and, and, and having somebody out there that kind of felt the same way I did. I was honestly afraid to, to make that move and, 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 you know, go over that mountain because I didn't know it was going to happen. I was, like I said, I always brought up uh, icing everything and, and that kind of thing. But at the same time, I was kind of fairly certain about, uh, you know, my, my, my background as far as physiology and, and those kind of things that, you know, yeah, we're probably on the right track. It makes sense. Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell, can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.